Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a five-week teaching series called How to Change Your Relationships, and we're learning that we change our relationships by changing ourselves. Thanks for joining us. Since we're talking about change so much, I thought I'd share with you the 101 things that Brian and I plan to change. Just kidding. It's a, it's a good segue, though, into the new five-week series that we're starting today called How to Change Your Relationships. Uh, there's no question, you probably know this or you've experienced this, that relationships have been under a tremendous amount of strain, especially this past year with COVID, although I know some of the parents in this room are celebrating today after one of the school districts opening back up, amen? But we're going to talk about how to change relationships based on what God says to us through his word. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how to change your husband, how to change your wife, how to change your kids, how to change your friendships, and ultimately how to change your relationship with God. Now, I want to be very careful here because I know not all of these relationships might fit where you find yourself in life. As I know, we know not everybody is married. Not everybody is able to have children. Not everybody has the deep friendships that they dream for and long for. And quite honestly, not everybody even knows who God is yet. But part of what it means for us as a church to do life together is that we support one another no matter what season of life we find ourselves in. In fact, I love how the author of Hebrews says this specifically about marriage. Marriage should be honored by all. And I would just say that's true of everything, right? In the same way, we should honor those who are single in our midst. Paul certainly does in 1 Corinthians. We should honor and encourage those who are unable to have children. We honor and encourage those who have lost loved ones and so on and so forth. We are a family of God. And we want to learn how to encourage and support everyone in this family, no matter what season they find themselves in. And so today, we're just going to start this five-week series with a message called, How to Change Your Husband. Ladies, wives, how many of you would agree that your husband needs some changing? Well, you don't have to be that vocal about it. You know, honestly, I think most husbands realize they could use some change. But spoiler alert right now. You know what a spoiler alert is? If you're watching like a TV show and you haven't caught up with all the episodes and somebody's talking about the latest episode, they might say, spoiler alert, don't read ahead if you don't know, if you haven't watched that latest episode. So spoiler alert here for the entire five weeks, and you may not like this, wives. If you're following on your notes with me, here's the big idea of this entire series. We change our relationships by changing ourselves. So yes, I'm very Sorry to disappoint you this morning, wives. But that means this message is more about you, not your husband. But I promise you, I'm gonna talk about your husbands next week, so make sure they come back. And if they don't, I give you permission to tell me, and I will go after them. But here's the deal for the next two weeks. No elbowing each other, no looking at them saying, see, we wanna learn how we can change ourselves so we can change our relationships. Now, there's really three main passages in the New Testament that talk about marriage and specifically about the roles of husbands and wives. They're Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7, and 1 Peter 3. And I'm choosing to go through 1 Peter 3 these next two weeks because of the idea of change. Peter is writing to a situation where there's a lot of change going on. In fact, the specific changes that is happening 
if you don't know this, in the early church, tons of women were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was offering them a new way of life, a new freedom. And so what's happening, especially with what Peter is writing to, these women come to know Jesus, and then they go back to their homes to their unbelieving husbands. And it's affecting their marriages. And so Peter is writing to these women, although I will say the principles we're going to go through today touch every wife, touch every person, in fact. So let me invite you, if you haven't already, take your Bible, turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, always, always, whenever we open up a book of the Bible, right in the middle of that book, you have to understand what comes before it to understand where it is. And this whole section really starts in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, which we have on the screen here. Here, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And here it is. Live such good lives that among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then Peter really goes into this whole idea of what it would mean to live these kind of good lives. And he speaks to all Christians and says, listen, submit to the authorities that God has placed around you, to the governors, to the emperor. Live in such a way that nobody can accuse you. Then he speaks directly to slaves and says, submit to your masters the same way that Jesus bore your sin. Bear that up so that they have no reason to accuse you otherwise. And then starting in chapter 3, he moves into the family and he addresses wives. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to have you read verse 1 and verse 4, which are printed on your notes out loud. We'll read this whole section through verse 6. So join me in verse 1. It says... Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now join me again, verse 4. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I'll finish. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. In these verses, Peter acknowledges that, yes, husbands need to be changed. And the wives in their lives know they need to be changed. But the problem, Peter says, is wives may not go about it the best way. In fact, Peter mentions two words of advice to wives who are trying to change their husbands that simply don't work. Advice number one, if you're following on your notes, words don't work like actions do. Now, I'm going to be very general right now, so don't throw things at me women, if this is in you, okay? But for many women, if something isn't going the way you want it to go in your household, it's not going the way you want it, you're going to tell your husband about it. You might give a little speech, a little seminar even, repeatedly if necessary, because you think maybe the problem is your husband forgot about it, but he hasn't forgotten about it. That's not the problem always. Notice in verse 1, Peter says, if any of them do not believe the word. 
Of course, literally, that means they're not Christians, men who are unsaved. He is describing the worst possible case scenario in a marriage. And he says, ladies, even if that's what's happening in your home, even if it's so significant, the change you need to see in your husband is that he comes to know Jesus. If he's not committed to the most important thing in your life, if he's going a different direction than you are in your life, that's the biggest thing you need to see changed in him. And isn't it? How do you go about that? Peter says, without a word. Now, of course, Peter isn't suggesting there's not communication in marriage. He's not saying don't talk to your husband, don't relate to your husband. He's talking about the post-it notes in your mind of all the things that your husband needs to change in his life that you want to tell him about. And he says, if you're on your notes again, he suggests what is meant to help may be doing more damage than good. Now, the word really we're talking about here is nagging. And the Bible speaks very strongly against nagging, especially in the book of Proverbs. Here are some examples in Proverbs. Proverbs 9, 13 says, The woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant and doesn't know it. The idea of brash means lots of noise, lots of criticism. And God's word says that's a picture of a foolish woman. Proverbs 21, 9 says, Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Gets even worse 10 verses later, Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Listen, if the roof isn't far enough away, you might want to consider the desert here. Peter says, wives, do whatever you can do to get away from those words that are tearing down your marriage and tearing down your husband. In other words, You're just not going to see him changed that way with critical words. Now, why is this so important? What's the big deal? It's just a few words I'm saying to him. I'll tell you the big deal. One more Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like the rottenness in his bones. I know this is hard to talk about, but listen, here's what's happening when you come back and back about here's what you need to change. Here's what's wrong in your life. Here's what you're not doing right. If you're on that program, we're told here you're shaming your husband. Peter, or excuse me, Paul would put it this way in Ephesians 5. You're not respecting your husband. And for a man, respect is one of their deepest needs. I asked some of the ladies on our staff who are married this week, because you can imagine how intimidating it is to stand up here as a man and speak on this subject, what they might say about the verses we're covering this week. And one of them told this great story that relates to this. She said, the other day I had to call Walgreens about a prescription. My husband was sitting there with me in the same room. Apparently I was talking very kind and graciously with this person. When I hung up the phone, he jokingly said, I wish you would talk to me like you talked to the Walgreens person. He was teasing me, but he was right. I had let my guard down so much at home that he was consistently getting my leftovers, not my best. I can't explain this to you, but it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. When God is talking about some of the consequences of the fall, the results of the fall, he says these words to Eve in Genesis 3.16, and you will desire to control your husband. There's something in the sinful flesh of a woman who wants to control. Now listen, there's something in the sinful flesh of a man that wants to neglect, and we'll get to that next week. But the point is, as these two things begin to happen, nagging, neglecting, on and on and on, it creates this 
situation in marriage where the marriage is going to fall apart. Now, I don't want to get into the chicken and the egg discussion. I don't care who's started it. It doesn't matter. God's word says, wives, do your part. Husbands, do your part. And we're going to talk about, again, next week what that means. Now, if you're still confused, wives in the room, let me just give you an example of how this might play out in marriage. Any similarities to your marriage is totally coincidental. I want you to imagine, you just put the kids down to bed, you sit down on the couch, the TV's on, and wife, you say to your husband, we never spend time together anymore. Anybody? No? What word does the husband hear? Time? Together? No, he hears never. And most men in their logical minds think, really? We never spend time together anymore? And then a nice discussion ensues. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting to spend time with your husband? Of course not. But the way we speak is just as important as the words we speak. Pause. That is true in any relationship. Yes? The way we speak is just as important as the words we speak. So perhaps something more like this, honey, I really love spending time with you. Could we schedule that in the next few days? Guys, if that was the way that was brought to your attention, would you get defensive? If you do, you have bigger problems that you need to talk about, right? The way we talk is just as important as the words we're trying to communicate. And wives, you just can't change your husbands with critical, nagging words. They don't work. In fact, it may be doing the opposite that you want it to do. The second word of advice Peter gives to women to change their husbands, if you're on your notes, is don't rely on your physical beauty because it won't last. If you need any proof of this, here is a picture of me on our wedding day. You know, one of the privileges I do have as a pastor is doing weddings. And whenever I do a wedding, I do some premarital counseling. And there's nothing funnier than sitting across this young couple to see just how infatuated they are with each other and their, their looks and their beauty, especially the guys. But the reason we do premarital counseling is because you better have a stronger foundation than each other's looks if you want to have a marriage that lasts. And verse 3 says, listen, don't let your crowning feature, your outstanding characteristic, be your outward beauty, women. And he gives some examples there. Don't let the beautiful thing about you be your hair, your jewelry, or your clothing. Don't let the thing that draws men to you be your physical beauty, because quite honestly, you don't want that kind of man anyway. Amen? My daughter, when she was really young, used to love these books called Amelia Bedelia. Anybody know the Amelia Bedelia books? Amelia Bedelia is the most literal person ever in this world. So if you say something to her, she's going to take it exactly what it means. And of course, that leads to all kinds of trouble. And I know some women who have taken this to mean, okay, I just won't care about my physical beauty at all. That is not what Peter is suggesting here. He says, if you're on your notes, it is not wrong to take care of yourself, to look beautiful. In fact, I think your husbands probably would appreciate that. Just don't make it your primary focus. Don't make it the outstanding thing about your life, the main thing in your life. I love how the author of Proverbs in 31.10 says it. Let's read this out loud together on your notes there. It says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Now listen, rubies are beautiful to look at. And what the author here is suggesting, even more beautiful, 
is a wife of noble character. So wives, if you're counting on your physical beauty to keep your husband interested in you for a lifetime, the rest of your life, I've got some news for you. First-hand experience for me, for my wife. It ain't going to happen. You better have a different plan. And in these verses, Peter lays out the plan to change your husband. If you're following on your notes, it is a wife's inner beauty that changes her husband. Literally, the idea here is Peter asks wives to be concerned about dressing your inner person, not just your outer person. Get dressed from the inside out. And Peter mentions three of these inward qualities you can dress yourself in. The first one, if you're on your notes, is that a wife should be dressed in submission. The S word. But all it really means, the definition is simply a voluntary selflessness. In fact, let me give you a little language lesson here. In the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, this word right here is in the middle voice. And I know that probably doesn't mean anything to you, but what we're actually being told here, what Peter is saying is that women, wives, you make the choice to place yourself under your husband. Peter does not use the Greek word for obey. He uses this word of a voluntary submission and a voluntary selflessness for your husband. And so men, listen up. What that means is you do not own the right to submission. Submission is never demanded of a wife. It's a choice that a wife makes before God to place herself under the influence and authority of her husband. Notice, please notice, this verse does not teach a general submission of all women to all men. It is directly towards a wife and a choice that she makes before God for her husband. Furthermore, Christian submission never requires disobedience to God, never requires you to remain in an unsafe situation, nor participate in something your conscience would forbid. Does it mean you'll always have to agree with your husband? Absolutely not. In fact, I love that Peter uses Sarah as the example here. Sarah got in Abraham's face sometimes, and he needed it. She wasn't afraid of that. But it also, friends, it doesn't mean, submission does not mean, and I get passionate about this, that if he is unfaithful to you, that you have no biblical recourse. It doesn't mean that if he abuses you physically or through verbal humiliation, that you must remain quietly in the home. If that is your situation, don't let your husband hide behind some sick understanding of this verse. You call the police. You reach out to the elders in this church. And you do that with the full authority and backing of the Bible. There are very few things in life that sicken me more than men who have abused this verse with some sick misunderstanding of it to demean and humiliate their wives. Amen? I want to tell those guys, listen, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He submitted himself to the Father out of love. Submit yourself to one another. That is how marriages function best. Ideally, in any marriage, submission is mutual. Paul says this in Ephesians 5.21. And if both are Christians in the marriage and both are following Jesus, who is our example to follow? It's Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, becoming in nature a servant, a servant for us. 
Listen, although the husband doesn't fulfill the same role as a wife in a marriage, there is a fundamental attitude both are to have. We are both servants of God, and therefore we both seek to serve one another the same way God served us. Now, I know that's the ideal, right? Two Christians submitting to one another mutually, but what if it's one-sided? We're getting into some hard ground right now. What if it's one-sided? What if your husband isn't a Christian as Peter's talking about in this? Well, Peter suggests that expression of submission could potentially even be an effective witness to your husband. Jesus submitted his life so that we could live, and we may sometimes have to submit our lives even if we don't get what we want, even in the circumstances we're not called to. Listen, one-sided submission requires tremendous strength. But God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us even through the most difficult of circumstances. I love how Jill Briscoe sums this up. Peter was after a heart attitude here, a spirit of humility by choice, not coercion. Peter is pro-choice where women are concerned, the choice to lay down our lives for our husbands because he has laid it down for us. Problems in marriage come when a wife thinks that because her husband isn't doing the things she wishes he was doing, then she decides that I'm not going to submit. No, 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 no. Listen, the way to see your husband change is to do the thing God is calling you to do, regardless of how your husband is acting. Husbands, I'm going to say the same thing to you next week. Is this a hard thing to ask, to submit, even if the other person in marriage isn't doing the same for you? It absolutely is. But this is the way to see change and growth and grace begin to shape in our families, doing it irrespective of the choice our spouse makes. Again, to quote one of the ladies from our staff, I cannot be the wife God intended. I can't submit to my husband like the women of old if I'm not first fully submitting myself to God. Submitting myself to my husband becomes a natural overflow of the posture of my heart when I can understand what submission to the Father looks like. My Father loves me unconditionally. He laid his life down for me. How can I not respond in thanks? I'll say it again last time. Submissiveness does not mean being passive. It means choosing. Choosing to give your best to your husband, just like the one who gave his best for you. Second inner quality a wife should dress herself in is purity. Purity is from the root word in the Bible, holy, which once again is something we're all called to, whether we're women or men, right? Be holy as God is holy. It means living a life free of moral defilement. Defilement. Wives are to be pure in their behavior and actions and attitudes, pure in dress, pure in language, pure in your choices in entertainment, pure in the way you are financially making decisions, not self-righteous, not judgmental. And the reason you pursue this, if you're following there, is because your life is motivated by reverence for God. Do you see a theme here? Who are you doing this for? Your husband because he's perfect? No, we do this for God. Your husband's not perfect. He doesn't have it all together. Does he deserve this? No. But even with his shortcomings, we do this because God is over our home. And I want God's blessing on our home. And this inward attitude of purity is one of the ways to worship God. Last, the third inner quality a wife should dress herself in is with a gentle and quiet spirit. And honestly, all that means is showing humility like Jesus. Being considerate 
not insisting on your own rights, not being pushy or overly assertive. It's kind of the opposite of some of the verses we looked at earlier in the book of Proverbs. Now, to have a quiet spirit doesn't mean you don't talk or disagree or even fight at times. Good couples know how to fight. It's how you can grow in your relationship when it's done well. It does mean, though, to seek to see the best in your husband, to serve your husband, to build him up through words of encouragement, through loving actions, through selfless love, putting his needs ahead of yours. Jesus himself described himself as being gentle and lowly in heart. Is that weakness? Absolutely not. It's love. Now, as we close, the last thing I just want to talk to you about is why. Why should I even pursue this life of inner beauty? Why should I change myself? Peter hints at three reasons. Number one, inner beauty is influential. It can be persuasive. Peter says it, right? Even to an unbelieving husband, this kind of inner beauty can be persuasive to him. It's better than any finger pointing or criticism. Now, here's the thing. It's not a guarantee. I wish it was, don't you? Don't you wish that if you lived this, if you chose this, that your unbelieving husband would come to know Jesus? I have prayed with so many wives in our church, and it breaks my heart, whose husbands don't know Jesus, and they do. It's not a guarantee, but what it is is a promise, a promise that you will no longer be a hindrance, but a help to whatever God is doing in his life. If your husband doesn't want what God wants, well, that's between him and God. And the question is not, when will he change because of me? The question is, am I influencing that change positively or negatively, whether it happens or not? Second reason why to pursue inner beauty is that it's lasting. Ladies, whether you're married or not, the amazing thing about the Lord God Almighty is that when he looks down on you, he looks past all of your physical characteristics and looks straight into your heart, your character. That's what he sees. That's what he loves. I hate, I hate that the world tells you the opposite. I hate that the world tells you you're supposed to look a certain way in order to be loved. So hear the words of your heavenly father this morning. I love you for who you are, not for how you look. And what God's word is calling you to do this morning is to grow in that inner beauty. And the awesome thing about inner beauty is that it can grow and flourish for a lifetime even beyond this life. That means some of you 60 and 70 and 80-year-old women here, you're peaking right now. God's looking at you, go, look at that beautiful wife. God help us men, again, whether you're married or not, to embrace and encourage this in the women God has placed in our lives to encourage inner beauty over outer beauty in them. Ladies, you can't buy this. You can't get surgery to fix this. There's no quick fix. You have to let God shape your character. And that only comes by spending time with him in his word, in prayer, in fellowship with other godly women, and by following Jesus' example of selflessness. Third, inner beauty is priceless in God's eyes. This is the greatest promise of them all. Look again at the end of verse four, right? It is great worth in God's sight. To quote one of the ladies on staff again, my beauty comes from inside, not the outside. 
I long to be the type of wife and woman, verse 4 speaks about. Oh, to be thought of like this from my heavenly Father, nurturing my relationship with the Lord is nurturing my inner self, positioning myself to sit before the Father, to give myself fully to him in thought, word, and deed. Listen, is to be beautiful to him. Honestly, ladies, I know that many of you in this room are longing to see changes take place in your husbands. I know many of you have been hurt by your husbands. And so for me, a man, to stand up here and say, focus on getting your part right, it can lead to what verse 6 describes as great fear. What if my husband doesn't come through? What if I do this? And he doesn't. What if my husband never values this, recognizes this, changes in his own ways? Those are great questions, hard questions, and the truth is that is exactly what might happen. But I encourage you, as your brother in Christ who loves you and wants to see the best in your life, remember it is of great value in God's eyes no matter what happens no matter what the results are. So take your eyes off your agenda of changing your husband and make your focus on pleasing the Lord first and foremost. Grow inner beauty in your life. And again, as one lady said, this was a great reminder that my job is simply to draw closer to Jesus and let him handle everything else. One more. Am I placing my husband in God's hands? I trust that God is working on my husband and that it's not my role to fix or change him. I submit myself to God and submit my husband to God and submit myself to him. And so as we close, here's the question I'd love for you ladies to consider. Will I trust God to do his work in my husband as I do mine? And here's the hard part. Whether he changes or not, Do you believe that your heavenly father looks down on you and says, that is beautiful in my sight? I welcome you to put your notes away if you'd like. I'm going to close with a story. This is a letter that a woman wrote to a famous uh, Christian counselor by the name of Clyde Naramore. She says, one day I was saved and I wanted to know what God would do for me in my marriage. Was love something that you felt Was it something that happened to you, or was it an act of the will? I finally faced the fact that I might not be able to feel love towards my husband. But what I could do was show love. From that moment on, I began to behave as if I did feel love for him. What would I do for my husband today, I asked myself. If I were really in love with him, then I proceeded to do these little kindnesses. I studied his likes and dislikes and bought little treats for his lunchbox. I tried to comfort him when he came home from work, tired or harassed by a heavy schedule. I met him at the door with a smile. I respected his discipline of the children and worked with him. I tried to speak softly and diplomatically when we had differences. Soon, I noticed a marked change in him. He was behaving as though he were living with a woman who loved him. I began to notice a change in my own feelings as well. He was not at all like I had concluded. He had real depth, and I was beginning to fall in love with him. Is this why God admonishes us to show love? He has not said to show love if you don't feel love, if you feel love, has he? At the time, it seemed to me that Christians did all the giving and none of the getting. But what God has shown me is when I show love towards him, it's really I am who blessed, am who blessed in the end. Throughout this series, we've asked uh, different people to close us in prayer. And this morning, we asked 
Laura Alexander. Wife to Kelly, mom to three incredible daughters. She's gonna pray a prayer over the wives this morning. So let's bow our heads. And if you're not a wife, pray these words along with her for the wives you do, wives, the wives you do know. Good morning. My name is Laura, and it is a privilege for me to pray with the wives here today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as wives, we come to you as our guide, our comforter, our loving Father, and our Lord. We confess we have not always been the wife you designed us to be, the wife our husbands need. At times, we have been disrespectful in words, attitudes, and deeds. Remove any bitterness, impatience, and selfishness from our hearts and replace these with forgiveness, patience, and love. Transform us into wives who glorify you and love our husbands well. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our marriages. Please help us be wives who encourage our husbands. We pray our words are affirming and supportive to help each of them reach their potential and your will for their lives. Let us persevere in loving our husbands as you have loved us. Help us to intentionally call out the good in them. Our desire is to be pure of heart and gentle in spirit. Renew our minds so that our words and actions reflect your truth and not our feelings at any given moment. Transform us to let go of selfish expectations, but lay them at your feet and accept our husbands for who they are and not what we want them to be. Lord, I ask that we, as wives, would love our husbands without conditions, as you love us. Let us always keep you in the center of our hearts, so you may be glorified in our marriages. Let us be women they can laugh with, cry with, fully trust, and easily love as we live our lives for you. Transform us totally, Lord. Make us new. Help us partner in the plan you have for each of our husbands. Make our marriages a reflection of your love for us. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillschurch.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.